Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Crimology. This is episode 73. Last week was 72. I have 72 written on all of my paperwork because Taba joined us last week for a spontaneous episode. So if I say episode 72 at some point, just know that I have it written down 15 million times as episode 72. Um, but it's 73. So this week we're talking about a missing person, David Glenn Lewis. Um, and so we're going to talk about his story with his family and the weird place that he is found where his body is found. So this is episode 73, David Lewis. January 28, 1993, David's wife and daughter leave their house in Amarillo, Texas, and they head to Dallas. And they go for the weekend, just a weekend trip. They returned back from their trip on the 31st and didn't find David at home like they expected, but it didn't look like he was gone for long. There was laundry that was going in the dryer, there was a sandwich on the TV, And with it being Super Bowl Sunday, the TV was on and the game was set to record. The two girls figured he had just gone to a friend's house to watch the game and would be back later. February 1st, David's wife called police to report David missing as he did not come back home the night before. Police noticed that there was no signs of break-in or foul play at the house. David's car was found on the 2nd out the county courts building where David worked as an attorney. It looked like he had just gone in to do some work. His cash, credit cards, house, and work key were all left in the car. So you immediately said like they had just, you know, like, you know, the next day or the, a couple days later that they ended up using or that they reported him missing. And I was like, how would you not immediately like know that? And then I remembered this is from nineteen ninety three right. where technology is still like right. you know, no nowhere even close to where it was in, you know, even the early two thousands. And so I, that's just my brain just immediately went to like, Oh, um yeah, okay. So right. just getting in that mindset of nineteen ninety three. The olden days. So, all this time, after interviewing different people who saw David that weekend, officials put together a rough timeline of David's weekend. Co-workers said on the 28th, around noon, David went home early, saying he didn't feel well. That evening, David did teach a course at the Amarillo College. A friend of David's said he saw David at the Amarillo airport without luggage. Other people, including a sheriff's deputy, said they all saw David around town, saying he looked nervous and tense. June 30th, someone deposited $5,000 into David's account, and on the 31st, someone bought two plane tickets. One ticket was from Dallas to Amarillo, And another was from Las Vegas to Dallas, 
both being in David's name. Now, what made this weird is officials didn't find tickets out to these places. They were just return tickets from these places, if that makes sense. So, with no foul play being involved, officials believed that David might have just up and left his life behind. David's family, however, said there was no way David would just leave. He loved his family, and he loved what he did for work. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. It's just like, it was to those places, but never coming back. Right. Which is, I I get that. that and that is typically a, if you're... If you're going from, you know, say from Amarillo to Dallas, like typically it would be like, because you can't like, you'd have to go from like Amarillo to Dallas to like your next destination. Right. Like you couldn't go most you times. Go you Amarillo, can't... Dallas, Las Vegas. Right. Or you, however. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. The fact that there's no Amarillo to anywhere. There's just somewhere to Amarillo or somewhere Mm -hmm. to Dallas. So that was weird. So David's wife would later say that David was set to testify and a malpractice suit filed against his former law firm. She said around the time David went missing, David had lost a file he had with all of the information against this law firm. And when it went missing, David said he felt like he might be in trouble. And this is kind of one of those things too of like, you know, you know, we kind of talked through the story, but like, you know, when we actually get really reading into our, into the details, it's like, that's really when it kind of sets in. Like, oh, this is. Now we have a motive or I guess. Or yeah, or yeah, somewhat of a, not yeah motive however you want to phrase that it's just like this is when it becomes real i'll put it that way so with no information in this case and no leads to go off of david's case goes cold now across across the country and moxie washington there was another unsolved case going on at the same time as david's case february 1st 1993 a man was walking down the center lane along Route 44, sorry, around along Route 24 when he was hit and killed in a hit and run accident. The man was wearing military style clothing and work boots and had no identification on him. His fingerprints didn't show up in any database, so police weren't able to identify him. And also with no information, this case also goes cold. So now flash forward to 2004. A Washington State Patrol detective starts looking into past cold cases and happened to come across the John Doe that was killed. So he decides to look at other missing people and cold cases that happened around the same time to see if somehow he would get a match to his John Doe. So he comes across a picture of David, which looks a lot like his John Doe. So eventually, tests are done, and the DNA from their John Doe matches David Lewis. But the mystery still remains. Why was David in Washington? 
He had no work there, no family, and never mentioned ever wanting to go. David's family was convinced that he was kidnapped, which could have happened. But why did they pick to bring him to Washington? And if he was kidnapped, why was he walking down the middle of the street alone? And then some thought David wanted to leave his life behind and maybe just picked Washington specifically because no one would look there for him. But it still doesn't answer why was he in military kind of clothing and why was he walking in the middle of the street? Yeah, and I think that's the that was kind of like when you know when we were going through this, like I was saying, that was the first kind of like okay, sure, Washington, you know, it's you know, it's far away from, from Texas and but it was the whole what he was dressed in is the weird thing. It almost kind of seems like, I mean, obviously we're just like, I'm obviously just like throwing something out there, but it is almost like he went up there for something or, you know, got kidnapped or however. And then he either escaped or however else however else you want to phrase it but it doesn't make sense to me that the flights that you talked about are not listed you know it doesn't you know los angeles las vegas you know wherever that's still a long ways away from washington right so like that's the part where that doesn't i mean like the flights almost kind of seem like it's a like a red herring almost of like it has no pathway to <clears throat> actually how he you know how he gets up there so like if he was just like hey yo i'm in this lawsuit i have misplaced all of this information like i need to leave Flying to LA will obviously lead everybody into the wrong, not the wrong direction, but they would be looking in a completely different place. And so, and then going the however many hours up to uh, Washington. So I guess I could see it, but then you still have the question of, boy, why were you wearing that? And why were you out there by yourself? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that there's a lot of this that just does not make sense at all. So, this is one of those that you're like, yay, we have, like, this missing person. We have the case solved. It's like, we know where he is. We don't have to worry about where he is. We don't have to constantly look over our shoulder. But at the same time, you have your answer, but, like, a thousand more questions have opened up. And so this was one of those cases that at first I was like, well, this wouldn't be a good case. But then I was like, wait, no, right? why was homeboy there? Why was he wearing this? What is going on? And so this is one of those rare cases where we have a missing person, but we find them. But rarely do we find the person and then have with like no information right. behind it. And then we're like, that's it. We found the person, but we don't have any more answers to anything. Yeah. And I, th- this one's when, 
and and I'm I'm kind of going to circle back here a little bit, but like, wouldn't it be kind of cool to like have that job of that Washington, like the the state patrol detective of like you just like, all right, we're going to look into some old cold cases. I mean, like, yeah. wouldn't that be a like? Not, I wouldn't say fun or cool, but like that would be a very interesting job. I mean, I feel like we had another case where it was that same thing um, where you just get a fresh pair of eyes in there um, to just look at everything a few years later when we're now at more advanced or whatever. And so you can use those things to your advantage. And so if this isn't something that everyone should have like state wise, I feel like it, you should, um, to have just to put a fresh pair of eyes in there. If Oklahoma doesn't have one, I'll volunteer. I'm, I'm pretty sure they do, but if not, throwing it out there, we might have some connections. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Episode 72 that was David Lewis, not one of those annoying ones where we don't have any answers, but there you go. So now we're going to roll straight into Steven's Conspiracy Corner and take it away. Oh, yes. It's back after a while. I don't know. So so this one's kind of a... It's, I, I'm going to call this my mini Crimology episode. This is going to be like 73 and a half. So it's it's a little bit of a conspiracy because we don't really know what happens. And there's this is one that's been like, it's been shrouded in just like what actually happened. So we're going to talk about Jimmy Hoffa today. Okay. Do you know that name? No. Okay. So basically, for those who don't know, like Sam, um, he was a... Uh, he, oh, trade unionist so he was born in like 1913 um he disappeared in 1975 and is still missing to this day so basically um he was a union activist um he um he became you know a pretty uh, important figure um of, uh, uh, you know, between 1957 and, and 1971, um, basically, you know, like, like a union does, like, you know, they'll have organized, um, like everybody makes the same. They work X amount of hours right, right. type of all that kind of stuff. So he was, he was hugely involved in that, um, in the growth of it and everything in the United States. Um, it at one point it had 2.3 million members in its peak. So a lot of people involved in this. Um, however, he became involved with organized crime kind of early on all the way through his disappearance in 1975. Um, you know, just to name a few of the things he was convicted of during those times, jury tampering, attempted bribery, conspiracy, mail and wire fraud in 64 in two separate trials um he was imprisoned in 1967 and he was sentenced to 13 years 
Um, in mid-1971, he resigned as the president of that union, um, basically as a part of the agreement with uh, President Nixon. Um, but basically he was, you know, um, you know, I can't even think of the right words, but basically cut off from, from that part of what he was, he had been doing. Um, so he disappeared on July 30th, 1975. Um, so the, the main thing that they believe is that the, uh, the mafia is actually who killed him. Of course, it always comes back to, not always comes back to the mafia, but it's always so basi- some group like that. Right. So basically he was in um, in Michigan, in Bloomfield Township, and I can't remember exactly where that's at, but I think it's kind of around like the Detroit area. And so basically he, you know, he met, you know, he had in... Um, you know, he was meeting a, uh, you know, a couple people um, at a restaurant at a specific time. You know, he wrote down uh, in his, um, you know, in his journal, notebook, whatever, mm-hmm. calendar, you know, meeting, you know, whoever it was, 2 p.m. at the restaurant. And so basically, you know, he he called his wife between uh 2:15 and 2:30 and then um and then the you know kind of a little bit later on um he basically then he called his wife said that he'd be home by 4 to you know to make dinner um so this is what he says at 2 he says yeah, uh, between two fifteen and two thirty, okay. and then he says basically, or and then the FBI estimates. So basically, these people pull up, and the FBI estimates that um, that Hoff, that Jimmy Hoffa left the area um, without a struggle. And this is, and, and I think that was kind of the key thing in this was basically he, you know, willingly got in his car right between. You know, they estimate between 245 and 250. And there was even a, a report, a witness report that said um, that that Hoffa got into the back of a maroon Lincoln or Mercury car with three other people. So basically, so then, you know, the next morning, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's wife, you know, calls the police um, and, uh, you know, or not he's you never know, seen from again n- never seen again um it's and so this is one that's just like no one's ever said anything you know basically there hasn't been a story break on this since well right if it's the mafia they're gonna do everything they can right a and and the the, the not the 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 funny thing is that um, I can't remember how long ago it was, but MythBusters did a because the the whole big conspiracy was that they buried him, 
that the mafia buried him under the Meadowlands Stadium, which is where the mm-hmm. the Jets and the Giants used to play mm-hmm. up in up in New York or New Jer- New Jersey. That he was buried underneath there. So they Mythbusters literally got out there with like one of those like um, ground penetrating radar mm-hmm. and like scanned the whole entire field and they couldn't find anything. So it's one of those things of like, yeah, they they busted that one. But it was just like, like, it's pretty crazy when you can get a major TV show to go out there and actually like, okay, let's see if this conspiracy is true. So, but yeah, that's kind of, it's a episode 73.5. I mean, conspiracy corner going with missing people. So. I was going to, this was going to be last week's, but since Taba joined us last week, we kicked Conspiracy Corner to this week, which worked out good. <laughs> there you go. So. Episode 73, the the episode of Missing People. Um, You get a happy ending with more questions, and then we have a not so happy ending with still questions. Lots of questions. Questions that I don't really want to get into because the mafia can stay away from me. Uh, yeah. If I go missing, it's Sam. Uh, Start with her. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 73. Like always, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Crimeology. Crimeology.